This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor and welcome back to the show. Today I'm joined by the full squad, David, Brady, and Jordan, along with myself, Today, we're going to be breaking down some basketball news as well as discussing football later in the show. Uh, First of all, we're going to get to breaking down the third time this Georgia State men's basketball team has seen the Coastal Carolina shot to clear is when they came to visit Georgia State for what was supposed to be a two-game road trip for the shot to clears, but Friday's game against the Panthers was postponed. Uh, Makeup is still in the works. Not sure on the details of that, but they did play Saturday. Jordan, why don't you tell us a little bit about how that went down? Absolutely. So Georgia State, of course, ended up winning Saturday, 71-68. Georgia State had not played in 14 days due to COVID issues and had practiced just once since team activities were paused on January 8th. And, uh, well, it looked like it early on, got to say. Turnovers characterized the first part of the game as Coastal led for much of the first half by as much as 11, but the Panthers battled back. They scored the last six points of the first half to take a 36-35 lead going into the break. Georgia State controlled the early part of the second half. Coastal followed with a 19-4 run of their own, and eventually it was 62-62 with five minutes left. Coastal restored their lead at 68-63 with two minutes and 50 seconds to go, but the Panthers closed out the half much like they did in the first with an 8-0 run to end the game and steal the win. Gentlemen, what did we think about the performance of the Panthers and the Chanticleers on Saturday? As ever, a win is a win. And uh, after watching especially all that needed to happen was just having more points than coastal at the end of the game. Um, it was very clear that Georgia state was a little bit showing that they hadn't practiced in a week. And also Kane Williams wasn't able to play, which would have an impact on Georgia state, even if they were coming off of a week of being able to play and practice and all that. Uh, so every reason to expect that there might've been cobwebs and there were, but the bottom line is at the end of both halves, Georgia State put together enough plays and got the win. Winning at home, like we said in the last pod, that's just what what you got to do at this point. Um, And the best news is that they played the game, which as far as we know, that means Georgia State's back on track for the rest of the schedule, provided no more issues flare up and that this series against App State coming up will continue as it should and the season can get back on track because the schedule being condensed as it is, it's going to be hard to make up as many as three games so hopefully they can not have to make up any more than the ones they've already got to make up that'd be really helpful for them um you know it would be also helpful for them if they you know kind of look at what they did on saturday the good parts and bottle that because like you alluded to that game was kind of rough there for you know a lot longer than it needed to be um I don't know if it was just that home cooking and they, you know, found something to propel them to victory. But, you know, watching that game, especially with the way that Tipler was shooting for Coastal, I really don't understand how Georgia State ended up winning. But they, you know, at the end of it, Corey Allen just decided that he was going to hit that crazy shot. And, you know, he hit both of those free throws, the possession before and you know, somehow Georgia state won. It was, I don't want to say it was crazy, but I think the groundwork was definitely there for coastal to kind of steal one against Georgia state. And, you know, the Panthers are fortunate that that didn't happen. Felt like a culture win. Um, talked about 
culture plays uh, a couple of times this year, but it just felt like a game that, and I think coach Lanier said something to this effect, you know, it's, it's a game that they may not have won last year, but that they've been building up what it is to be Georgia state under this coach and relying on some of the uh, experience of just winning games as a program. It just feels like that's caked in at this point that Georgia state's kind of got that mentality. Uh, you mentioned Corey Allen. Uh, obviously, we've seen less games. There's only been 10 on the schedule, but we're into January, late January. Corey Allen is still shooting 54% from three. He is 35 for 65 on the year. Uh, I think there was a question given how he sort of, I won't say flamed out because it has a little bit too of a negative connotation, but fizzled out, I guess. I guess I'd say from three late in the year last year and just kind of down the stretch, he just wasn't making as many shots. So I think there was a little bit of an open-ended question of is the Corey Allen that was lining it up from three going to be the guy from the start of the year and continue it. And so far it has been, I he's the team's leading scorer. When a guy like that is picking his shots and he's not just throwing up anytime he's got the ball on the perimeter actual stroke that that's it's not any coincidence that he's shooting so well but it is still very encouraging to see i just wanted to circle back on the 54 percent from beyond the arc because i want us to i have a question to ask about that because i don't know but i'll ask you taylor is that is that good or like uh hold on give me a second let me uh, check some notes here i'm sorry wow yeah, that's confirmed. Good. That's pretty good. Okay. Bits um, aside, I mean, you have to expect that, again, this may be tempting fate here. At some point, that will probably come regress back to the beam. But I feel like you want to ride this shooting streak that he's on as long as humanly possible. Uh, if he's going to keep making them and the teams are going to keep letting him take it, then Georgia State's going to keep winning games. I don't know. When Corey Allen is on and 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 hitting those shots and kind of – leading from the backcourt. I feel like this, uh, that's one of the situations in which Georgia state is at their most dangerous with this group specifically. And he's not trying too much. Like, I think that was also a problem and why he was missing a lot more as the season went on last year is that he was forcing it. He's it's running off of good action. He's open. He's in rhythm a lot of the time and he's making them. And the times that he isn't in rhythm and he does take those shots, you know, they're, they're going in and that's just how it goes sometimes. It, you know, it's crazy because Georgia State finished Saturday's game shooting 33% from beyond the arc. You know, they made nine of them. That's that's not anything special, obviously. Um, but they started the game, I believe, like one for 10 or one for 11, you know, for their threes. And, you know, it looked like it was going to be, you know, a single digit three percentage type game. And so... I was really encouraged by coach Lanier's postgame comments, you know, and he was basically saying the team didn't play for a few, a week, you know, they had one practice, like the, you know, guys weren't really getting up their shots and, you know, he kind of just told them, you know what, we're going to come and play this game and we're either going to be, you know, lighting it up and it's going to be like, wow, that, you know, the practice didn't do anything or, you know, we're going to struggle and we're going to be rusty, you know, but he, you know, wanted to instill in them that it's okay. You know, you got to keep shooting if, you know, if you got your look and, you know, as you said, Brady, that's really what we've seen from Corey Allen a lot this year. You know, you saw it a little bit from Justin Roberts, you know, he kind of struggled with his shot on Saturday, you know, he went four of 11 from the floor, but 
the nice thing was he was still shooting. You know, he was still being aggressive. He was still trying to, you know, I think sometimes he was dribbling a little bit too much and not really doing much with the ball. And that's when Georgia State's offense went a little stagnant, you know, but he was still trying to be effective as a ball handler. And, you know, he got six assists. It wasn't like he wasn't doing anything. They, they got the contributions they needed from players with Kane's absence. And that was really encouraging to see. You know, I just think Coastal ended up having a particularly pesky day. And, you know, like I said earlier, uh, D'Anthony Tipler just could not miss from behind the arc. And it showed. I do want to pivot to a couple of guys. Uh, I guess we can talk about one by one, but Colin Moore started and we're continuing to see just the potential Colin Moore has to be a really good player at Georgia state. Uh, so first I wanted to mention him. And I also wanted to mention that Jalen Thomas, now that he's gotten back to his rhythm and playing, he played 34 minutes on Saturday. He had 12 points, eight boards, four steals and a block. And I mean, he's a guy that if he's playing starters minutes or something close to it, he's going to be one of the Sunbelt leaders in blocks just because he's, he's got a great feel for it. I, the thing with Jalen is just going to be staying out of foul trouble, I think. And he, he struggled with that some last year. Uh, but if he's on the f- floor, I mean, guys, of force inside on defense, he's exactly the type of guy that Georgia state wants to have in this system yeah he's really impressed me this year you know you mentioned the fouls and he has fouled out in three of the six games that he's played you know i'll throw out the georgia tech game because that went to four overtimes even though i think he fouled out just before the end of regulation um but still you know he has been a force when he's been healthy and playing inside you know the last coast of the game he had 10 points and nine rebounds this one 12 points eight rebounds you know he has been exactly what coach lanier has wanted and i think there are parts of his game that definitely still need some refinement, you know, but you definitely can see the growth this year that he has had that, you know, wasn't necessarily there last year. I just want to officially issue the Jalen Thomas five by five challenge because it's definitely happening. Like this is the kind of player. If, if he has a night where he's on, I feel like specifically assists would be the, the hardest um, piece of that puzzle to fit in. But I mean, you already talked about it. he had 12 points, you know, four blocks the other night. He's the kind of guy that's going to be able to generate a lot of um, attention inside and open up um, some of those uh, shooters on the wing if he keeps playing as dominant as he has been. Um, so maybe I'd look for him to maybe get a little more involved, like passing back out to the perimeter to get some of these shooters more involved, a.k.a. keeping this Corey Allen like 60 percent three point percentage streak alive. I'll even do you one better as soon as Sosemi is like back to his normal minutes that like pick and roll to pop and pass with Thomas Sosemi and a guard is going to be very fluid because Sosemi is always rolling to the basket and Thomas is really favoring that, you know, kind of spot up jumper in the paint. Um, So if somebody cheats and tries to double the jump shot an easy bounce pass will get to a cutting Sosemi. So you might be right that those assist numbers have the potential to go up. I'll just say it hasn't led to anything fruitful on the court yet, but I am noticing Jalen Thomas trying to expand his range. He's 0 for 3 on threes, which 0 for 3, uh, low number, and he didn't make any of them. But the stroke didn't look terrible. And if it's something where if he can expand to be able to pick and pop, I mean, that just expands his game that much more on the offensive end. Yeah, you got to take him to make him. I mean, 
I'm not mad at it necessarily. I mean, there are a lot of other three point shooters on this team, but if there, he's going to be left open and in a situation where, you know, end of the shot clock, I, I don't necessarily hate it for him. If it's actually something they think that he can develop and kind of uh, grow into, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's six games. He's attempted three. It, it seems when, I don't know if it's a look that he gets, if he's just seeing if he's not getting stuck with on a, a switch or whatever, it's it's been, I haven't uh, charted it or anything to see when the three times where I just remember them independently happening, but I feel like it's been in situations where he's just gotten way open and he's like, yeah, I'll take this. Um, so I, I don't know. I It, it seems like given that he's taken them, it, <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine a big who didn't take a lot of threes and coach Hunter's time here, just pulling up from three and just how that would go. I'm assuming uh, the old them. Curtis Washington from downtown play, just like <laughs> right, he drew it up. Right. Um, I'm noted, assuming that noted three point specialist. Coach Tanier gives the guys freedom to, you know, do their thing on the court, but I am assuming in the circumstances, given he's not the usual guy, it is a, at least a very little thing they are hoping he can maybe develop and they're okay with him taking that shot. But I mean, cause he's got the inside game pretty good. So even if it is just mid range jumpers, if you can start expanding a little bit out of the paint, I, that just opens up the Georgia state offense. And you're talking about Jalen Thomas, who could consistently be the averaging double digits. And to me, if it's something that we continue to see that signals to me that internally, they wouldn't be putting him in a situation where he's going to be keep taking those if they weren't confident that he would be able to start connecting on them, you know? So to me, if it's not just a three, you know, three shot over six game sample size, we never see him take another game, you know, another three point in a meaningful minute of the game again. Like I feel as if the more we see it and, you know, occasionally we may see one go down and kind of get a little bit of that confidence. But if we do continue to see it where it's, not something that like the coaching staff is discouraging it gives me hope that they are confident in that shooting form. Um, like you said, it may not taking threes may be a little like kind of like a negotiating tactic, right? You step out and then you work it back in. And then suddenly now you're kind of like a competent mid range shooter, you know, like I definitely would like to see that um, included as a uh, part of a game that he's kind of expanding um, maybe down the stretch here moving forward. So looking forward from there, uh, of course, this upcoming weekend, we have Panthers versus the Appalachian State Mountaineers in Boone, a two-game series tipping off 6 p.m. Eastern Time Friday and 4 p.m. Eastern Time Saturday. The Mountaineers are 10-5 and five on the year and 4-2 and two in the Sun Belt, good for a tie in first place in the East at this early stage with Georgia State's 2-1. and one. Dustin Kearns is in his second year in charge at App, coming to Boone after two seasons at Presbyterian. He is 28 and 20 as apps coach mountaineers are averaging 73 points per game and giving up 61.5 points per game players to watch adrian delf 13.1 points per game donovan gregory 11.3 points per game michael almanasi 10.4 points per game and also of note snellville native kendall lewis is no longer with the team for the mountaineers uh gentlemen uh let's go ahead and move into tools of the game as our first a segment of discussion for this week's matchup with the Mountaineers. And for those of you who don't know, it's our weekly segment where we break down the week's matchup to reveal our thoughts about what both the Panthers and their opponent will need to do to win the game. 
Rules of the Game is brought to you by Crawford Tool. The folks at Crawford Tool have been Panther Athletic Club members and football season ticket holders since 2010. And now Thursday night podcast listeners can enjoy 10% off Crawford Tool's entire catalog of quality hand tools, toolkits, and supplies with code THURS at checkout. That's code THURS, T-H-E-R-S. Thursday night does get a percentage of all eligible purchases, so if you want to pick up some great tools at even better prices and help support our efforts along the way, visit www.crawfordtool.com and use code THURS at checkout. Thanks, Crawford Tool, for supporting the podcast. So, Ab State versus Georgia State. Um, definitely, I think the most important aspect of the game will be controlling the rim for both sides. Um, Ab State is a... Decent blocking team. They're currently fifth in the Sun Belt, um, clocking in at 3.7 blocks per game. Georgia State is second in the Sun Belt, clocking in at 4.8 blocks per game. Um, in the App State losses, they've been pretty susceptible to getting their shots blocked. And, you know, we were just talking about Jalen Thomas and, you know, kind of his development and, you know, this is going to be a very important game for both him and, you know, anybody else who is kind of anchoring the paint for Georgia State to be as tenacious when it comes to rim protection as they possibly can. Um, conversely, you know, we like to talk about Georgia State shooting a lot of threes, you know, but this is also an, a very capable drive heavy team, you know, so if Georgia state is going to live in the paint, you know, laying it up and trying to get dunks. Um, you know, it's going to be very important that they protect the rock and make sure that, you know, they're avoiding the arms of many mountaineers in the paint. Yeah. I, I think how the teams play defense in general is going to be a determiner for this game because app state is a good defensive team at 61.5 points per game allowed speaks for itself um they're stingy think is on the uptick in the Sun Belt, um as evidenced by them being 10 and 5 this year and uh taking care of their business at home so far uh they lost their opener to troy rebounded beat southern twice at home and then just stole one in their last game against at South Alabama, which was, I guess would be the, the impressive win that stood out to me on their schedule in the conference so far. Um, but Georgia state got to defend without fouling and app States got the second best free throw rate on defense in the country. Uh, are doing a good job of defending without fouling. And I think it's a situation if, Georgia state is giving up a lot of free times at the charity stripe and app state is doing what they usually do and not doing that. Then the the discrepancy there could be the difference in what might be a tight game down the stretch. Absolutely could be. Um, And, you know, I think one other thing that Georgia state should definitely be focused on and, you know, I'm sure coach Lanier has mentioned is, you know, making sure to keep the offensive lulls kind of at a, at a minimum, Um, you know, obviously basketball is a game of runs. So you are going to have periods of time where you're not scoring, but I think especially in the three coastal Carolina games that have happened this season, you know, Georgia state has kind of, whenever Corey Allen's on the bench, they kind of start standing around and not really doing it anything. Um, and you know, part of that has been, it's the COVID season and, you know, there's been 
guys haven't been a hundred percent and, you know, they've been missing some guys, you know, but ultimately, you know, the games are still being played and, you know, it doesn't matter who's suiting up. Somebody is suiting up. So, you know, kind of minimizing the stretches of two, three minutes without at least a field goal attempt or make, you know, that'll be very important because like you said, App State does not give up a lot of points. So you got to, you know, take what you can get when you can get it. And, Obviously, stuff like the shooting percentages Georgia State's allowed are decent, and uh, the rebounding is a tick up. Uh, and I think there's things that look on the surface pretty good on the defensive end. But I mean, if you hear Coach Lanier talk about it, he's still really waiting for the defense to really sink in. And he he gives them a lot of, you know, he says it's when they came back to practice, they wanted it to be a fun practice. And so they did offense first and emphasized offense. and have been getting back to defense as the season has progressed. And so that's definitely a big reason why, but I think in a game like this on the road at app state, who we feel like are going to keep Georgia state out of the eighties, they're averaging based on their track record. If it's a situation where the shots aren't falling, you're going to have to rely on that defense to keep you in the game on the road. And uh, you know, we would say the same thing on all of these, whether it's the home trip or the uh, the road trip, just as we've gotten into the feel of how this uh, back-to-backs situation is going to go. Winning two is the ideal. Just don't get swept on the road. When the reverse at home is win both. Don't lose both. You know, you cannot lose both games at home. But on in this situation... Definitely, you've got to at least split it. But I, Georgia State's in a situation where they're going to, they want to not have any empty road trips. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be a game where we learn how much of this App State season is. We get to see it with our own eyes of how, how for real they are. And it's a real test on the road for Georgia State. And I think also you got to consider the importance that both of these teams are right there at the top of their, you know, this side of the conference. So a win against app, you know, does even a little bit more for the Panthers to kind of cement themselves as, um, you know, looking to be the definitive, you know, team running the conference. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a function of where the expectations are going with this program that we're just eight and two. We we don't talk about that. We don't talk about record or anything, but like end of the day, I don't think that by any stretch, this has been a perfect season for Georgia state. And I think there's a lot that could have been improved upon, uh, but the team's eight and two, they've played 10 games and they've won all but two of them. And the schedule set up. I mean, if they just continue to fix little things around here and there, there's a chance for Georgia state to have a really pretty record on paper. Um, and uh, I, for a team that for decades was one of the worst in division one, we can't lose sight of that. Just, you know, it's so easy to lose track of just like the results are going well. And that is a very good thing. It, not only are they eight and two, but they've probably only looked bad in two games, three games and they won one of them. So, you know, that that's not nothing. And I guess the other reason results, I, I would care more about results this year is this is kind of in relation to just how the team was on. I mean, Saturday was 
kind of a frustrating game to watch just given it was obvious that there were just a lot of you know rust to shake off and i mean i think that i haven't ever just said it out loud to myself or on the or anything but i'm really not making any broad takeaways from this season it's such a weird season um and players are missing from game to game. I'm looking at the different players developing and, you know, Colin Moore's looks really good for a freshman. Evan Johnson's shot looks really good. And the more he develops, it's going to be really fun to watch. And we talked all that about Jalen Thomas versus their growth as college players, definitely relevant, but I'm definitely, it's hard for me to take a like big picture. This is where the team's at after two years under coach Lanier after this year. Cause it just doesn't seem like it's really going to be a fair assessment. And so given that, if you can just be happy or, or just take whatever you will from final record, that's probably going to be the only real thing you can get with this year is just like, oh, the team was, you know, 15 and whatever. And I don't know that we can really have the usual takeaways we might have. Like this is a really pivotal year if everything's normal, because we want to see how much of the good from the first year continued this season and how much of the, the struggles at the end of last year think that you can make any of those judgments. I think we're going to have to wait until the end of year three to really see that type of stuff, just because of the way that the season has to be because of COVID. So one last bit of basketball news to discuss before moving on. Uh, it was just announced recently that Georgia state's home game versus South Alabama on Friday, January 29th is now an eight 30 PM Eastern time tip off and will be nationally televised on ESPN two. Big boy ESPN right there in the sports arena. What do we think about this? Our old girl, the third floor, dollied up in national lights. Exciting stuff. I, I mean, I am supposed to be a Georgia State scholar. I think the last time it would have been on national TV is, I believe, in 2007 when the Final Four was in Atlanta. The like skills dunk and three-point competition was at Georgia State. I think And so, I believe yeah. that would have been the last time the sports arena would have been on national TV. Uh, so that's a long time uh, when you're Division One program, Maybe even as a mid-major who's not going to get looked at because Georgia State's been on national TV in recent years. It just hasn't been at home. So, you know, whatever the reason, glad it's happening. Uh, and the way South Alabama's got, you know, Michael Flowers for them playing really well, I think it'll be an exciting game for the Sun Belt to showcase some of the better teams in the Sun Belt East, the better program. Yeah, these are the games that you want, you know, better, the bigger conference games being on, you know, national television like that's that is exactly why these kids play this game. So, you know, hopefully both Georgia State and South Alabama show out. Moving on to football discussion. Uh, first up, we have nine seniors uh, have said they're returning to play their extra year of eligibility granted by the NCAA due to the COVID-19 pandemic. As announced by the school, they are offensive guard Shamarius Gilmore, place kicker Noel Ruiz, tight end Roger Carter, defensive lineman Dante Wilson, receivers Jonathan Effetti, Matlin Marshall, and DeAndre Bowman, safety Chris Moore, and cornerback Evan Jones. And it's also transfer season, of course. The portal giveth, the portal taketh away. The Panthers have acquired a pair of transfers from the portal. Uh, outside linebacker Shamar McCollum transfers from Wake Forest and wide receiver Jakias Cradle from the University of Central Florida. McCollum has three years to play two. Cradle has four years. So, uh, gentlemen, what are the implications of these roster announcements? So we had been, I guess, waiting for more and more of the senior announcements to trickle out. Um, and I, the school just put out, I'm assuming this is the final list just because... It was from the school's official 
Um, so given that we, we can draw conclusions from who else is not returning, but I am surprised pleasantly that Shamarius Gilmore is coming back. Uh, I thought he was a for sure lock to go to the draft. And I think whether it was this year or if, you know, now that he's coming back the 2022 draft, I think he's going to get his name called. I think he's done a great job at Georgia state. He's really put his name out there, but I guess put out feelers and maybe thought he could get a better grade with one more year play. Um, but his turn is Georgia state's gain. Cause he's just been an absolute anchor at left guard for Georgia state. Uh, similarly anchoring the well roots took over the kicking game. Done great. He's been a reliable blocker and receiving guy. Wilson, Played more on the end this year, I think, uh, than Noseguard, but he he's moved around on the defensive end and is another guy who's just been a reliable guy for his time here. So all of those guys are, I guess, the starters. Um, and those are big. And I think it says something about the uh the team and the, the way that they are that the just the way that the butcher has developed, that you've got these five seniors who have an extra year and they all contribute, but they aren't necessarily coming back because they know that they're going to get a chance to catch a thousand yards or whatever, but they could move on. They could graduate, whatever they could continue, but they want to come back and continue to add their voice to the program and be leaders on this team. And so I think that definitely speaks to the uh, character of them and also just where the program's at that people want to be around it. Yeah, that's usually, you know, what we're probably going to see. We're going to see a lot of guys who are, you know, kind of got those NFL questions, you know, but aren't Sherlock's. They're probably going to want to return. But it's a good group that Georgia State is returning, like you said. You know, those are all, you know, for the most part, those are guys that are starters or, you know, had some tangible impact on the 2020 team and, you know, another year of experience, you know, to help some of those younger guys on the team and also to play and be good can only help. And the transfers. Um, I We have uh, the stretch replacement in two different uh, ways. Uh, Jordan Strawn for the South Carolina and Tremar McCollum plays his position. So it feels like a pretty like for like transfer. And then this one, which is obviously more important. And the one that I'm just tickled by is that uh, Jakaias Cradle, the wide receiver transfer from UCF, his nickname is stretch. Uh, so literally replaced a stretch with a stretch. Um, also relatedly stretch cradle is an incredible football name. Especially for a wide receiver. Yes. East West Bowl worthy for sure. Well, if we're, you know, doing a depth chart of the team based on just name, Quad Brown QB one and stretch cradle wide receiver one. I mean, obviously he's got to practice and learn the roster to do that in practice and actual game, but you've got a, a solid a a guy stretch cradle can't be a bad receiver. <laughs> And he's got four years. I think that the fourth year is the COVID year. I think it's weird now with this COVID thing. I feel like I'm just going to admit that I'm just going to um, just kind of what people say, oh yeah, okay, that's what year they're in now. That's how many years they have left because I guess everyone just has the extra year and it's not really clear. Um, I'm assuming that everyone's going to progress in class um, and then they'll just get it on the back end. But you know, aside from that, whether it's three or four years, he's basically just like you signed a another person in the 2020 class. 
and he's a receiver. He's got great size. And I think that you've obviously got your McCoy and Pinkney who are really consistent and you know what they bring you. You're really looking for another person in that wide receiver group to really step up. And this is another guy who high three-star type guy. And, you know, just more talent in the wide receiver room is always a good thing. Uh, before we get you out of here this week, we do have some listener questions to get to. First up, Sid wants to know our best inauguration parade memories. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, in 2013, for the second inauguration of President Barack Obama, the Georgia State University marching band traveled to Washington, D.C. to represent the state of Georgia in the inaugural parade on Inauguration Day. And Taylor, Brady, and I were part of the band that year. I'm interested to hear uh, what you two have to say as far as this, and I'll, I'll finish up with mine. What you got? I'll say um, it was a really cool experience getting to go tour the National Mall beforehand and kind of like go check out like, oh, like this is where we're going to be like, you know, stepping off here, doing all this stuff. And then like, um, like uh, my dad happened to be in D.C. at the time. So we kind of spent the day together. And um, I had been to Washington, D.C. before with like a Boy Scout trip or something like that. But getting to go as an adult was really cool, given the context and kind of knowing more than knowing kind of the weight of the things you're going to see more than when you were, you know, going with like a bunch of 11 year olds. Um, so that was really cool. got a picture of like in front of the like kind of presidential um, like presenter box where we all marched through. Um, so that was really cool getting to march past what bef- at the time, just, you know, one uh, seated U S president now looking back uh, to uh, with the inauguration through today as the recording of the podcast of um, President Joe Biden. So um, really uh, just so many cool memories from that trip. Uh, we got to go to a Georgia State basketball game really randomly after oh, the parade. Yes. We were playing Towson at Towson when we were still – is this when we were in the CAA or is that the transition? That, that was that was the CAA. Yeah. So yeah, I think well, that was our last season in the CAA, correct? Yeah, because we couldn't go to the tournament that year because they were mad that we were going to the Sun Belt. Correct. Yeah, that was um, that was a lot of fun. And honestly, showing up with like an entire marching band's worth of people into a mostly empty arena and bringing that kind of like pep band energy with like 200 people. That was a lot, a lot of fun. I don't know if the link is still good. I mean, we'd have to check. I know at one point on the Towson, like that game recap on the Georgia State website, they linked the final like three minutes of the radio call. And you can hear all the people and, you know, Dave giving it a great call as usual at the end of the game when I, I think it got down to the wire. And I remember listening to that and just being tickled because it was like, it's just a random thing. Like, of course, that's how it lined up. Like, it's just awesome how things work out like that. Um, I had forgotten as we were talking about this question about that, but that's definitely up there just because that was a really cool experience. But uh, someone asked me, I don't remember who in this past week about just inaugural parade and what i remember and i was like funny because i don't know anything about obama's second inaugural address because we were all on buses going through security checks during the whole actual (laughs) ceremony so i don't have memories of any of that stuff which is you know everyone else if they have any memories of that day it's probably of the speech um but i just remember being not that bad of a parade to do um and just a very cool experience and yeah, I mean, the other thing I'd say is that there was a, uh, a like a big hefty like raincoat like that we got through, like embroidered with some like a patch about Georgia State and a girl that I got so much mileage out of 
used for like three or four years. Man, just the, the the level and quantity of the swag year in, year out that we got yes. cannot be understated. Oh, it was unbelievable. That was a great year because that was also that fall we got the, the blue hoodie. shorts with the pockets and the, we got the uh, the hoodie. Yeah. Yeah, the gray hoodie is the other thing from that trip that I also, I mean, I still wear that from time to time. Yeah, that's um, like, that's the daily really worn down. for like most people that was <laughs> like were, were part of the band that year. So actually, Brady, after you mentioned it, I went and looked it up and was able to track down the um, post game uh, uh, posted uh, like the post game thing posted to the Georgia State website. Uh, Panthers top Towson seventy one to sixty nine behind twenty seven from R J Hunter. Um, Georgia State extended its winning streak to three games. Blah blah blah. The Panthers got a boost when the school's marching band was able to attend and cheer the team on to victory. The band had marched that day in the presidential inauguration parade an hour away in Washington D C. Quote later, we really appreciated the band coming to the game and supporting GSU. They made a difference, and the team heard them cheering, and it picked us up. That was a quote from then head coach of the Georgia State Panthers, Ron Hunter. So a little fun bit of a Georgia State basketball and marching band history colliding there. Yeah, before we get into some of my thoughts about I just wanted to uh, bring up when we went to that game, uh, Dr. Mark Becker, president of Georgia State University, earned his bachelor's degree in mathematics from what was then Towson State University in 1980. So it was a little bit of a homecoming for him, bringing in 200 something rowdy college kids to scream and yell and uh, sing over the Towson fight song during the game. I think uh Angry people, I think, maybe uh, is the best way to put some of the opposing fans there. But it was an awesome, super fun experience. Probably one of the best experiences I've ever had going somewhere as part of the band that entire trip. But to add on to real yeah. quick that to that note, Jordan, um, you know, um, President Mark Becker, of course, friend of the pod. Thanks for listening. Um, uh, he and I did connect a little bit on the, during that game where, um, as some of you will remember, I was one of the more uh, vocal um, uh, Panther support during my time in the band uh and he didn't take kindly to some of the uh the heckling we were giving uh for example specifically i remember like one player on their team was wearing number number zero and somebody had screamed out like i bet that's the gpa it takes to apply to towson or something like that and just look over the president university with an undergraduate degree from the university that we're uh, consulting at the time that definitely sticks out as another very vivid memory yeah that's uh yeah pro tip don't do that to who said that thing, but I will keep it off air. So, yeah, but that's that's just an example of the kind of fun stuff you can only do as part of an organization like well, what is now known as the Panther Band. But other other memories I have from that trip specifically is uh, I think Taylor, you were saying earlier about getting to tour the National Mall and going to all the specific like Smithsonian like museums, and I spent a must have been three or four hours in the air and space museum. It was one of the best, like coolest things I've ever seen all these historic airplanes and exhibits on space travel and all this cool stuff. And you're, you're just surrounded by so much history and you can see like all the different coming together, meshing of different ideas and cultures and stuff that create this country and getting to be a part of the inauguration was Really, really cool and didn't think it would be topped until the next year when we went to the Macy's Parade. So, I don't know. Band was fun. We all had a really, really great time at the Panther Band. Just can't say enough positive stuff about it. There's a really cool picture that um, one of the university photographers joined us for the trip. And there's a really cool picture of us 
arching down like the main straightaway leading into the Capitol with like the sun setting on the Capitol down like way, way, way in the background of the picture. I don't know. It's really cool. We'll find it. And maybe we'll put it up on Twitter. Um, we post this, uh, this podcast episode, but yeah, that's definitely something that I'm really appreciative of to be able to kind of hang on to photos and stuff like that, to, um, to kind of relive those great memories we all had, um, you know, being a part of the Panther band program. Yeah, for sure. I, I know exactly what picture you're talking about and I'll, I'll put it up when we, uh, we post this podcast. So thank you, Sid, for this question. It was a whole lot of fun being a part of that parade and, uh, thanks for letting us relive those memories. Uh, next question we've got is from Mike from Marietta, friend of the show, wants to know, give us one Georgia State event that you were not at that you wish you could go back and be a part of. This one feels like an easy answer for me, and I absolutely want to be at that UGA Georgia State game from like two years ago. Oh, and the Georgia State oh, absolutely man. That's a great answer, stomped actually. the Bulldogs because like Taylor in my time in band, you know, I was a little bit loud. Um, maybe not as aggressive, but you know, still one of the more vocal. Well, people. actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because David used to sit right behind me. Yeah. He'd be just as <laughs> rude and uh, and disruptive, and I would blame for all of it. So, don't well, know, it wasn't necessarily as uh, loud as some on this podcast. <laughs> hey, well, you know. No one got me in trouble. So, but anyways, that's because they blame Taylor for it. <laughs> exactly, it I got blame for all of it. <laughs> it definitely would have been fun to, uh, you know, give it a little bit to those UGA basketball players and cheer on the Panthers in oh, man. the Bahamas. I'm about if like the All Star Pep Band squad was in the building oh. for a Georgia State, uh, like beating a UGA team. Oh, oh. it would be, it would be Literally, absolutely oh, I'd still, uncontrollable. I'd still be in the arena. <laughs> no, you would not be in the arena. You would have been ejected like four times. <laughs> they would have hauled you away in cuffs. It's like, all I did was tell him he's okay. Yeah. But yeah, I, that's a fantastic answer, David. I didn't even, I was thinking about this earlier. I, I didn't even cross my mind. Good answer. Plus you're in the Caymans. <laughs> yeah. Worst case scenario, you lose and you can sulk about it on the beach. Oh no. Oh, I'll go next. Um, so I joined uh, the Panther band started at Georgia state uh, in year two of the football program and the band season. Um, so I am going to go with the inaugural football game against uh, short, right? Short, yeah. Shorter, shorter okay. university. You had me, you talked about the second game after that and you got to be messed up. <clears throat> so I'm going to go with uh, the inaugural football game hosting shorter university. Um, just some of the pictures and stories and, um, you know, all this, the history that I've heard about from that game, um, just an incredible experience knowing kind of now retrospectively where the program has gone and where it's, you know, being set up trajectory wise to go, um, being a part of the early days of the program and being kind of in there from the ground floor, um, you know, me only starting in year two, but still um, was a lot of, a lot of fun for me um, and very gratifying uh, now seeing kind of the heights that the program is beginning to reach. So I, I think I would go with uh, that first game against shorter. Yeah. That's also a really good answer. I think I'm the only one that was there. Wasn't I? I believe so. Yeah. So uh, that was also, of course, first year of football, first year of marching band. My also my freshman year at the school, and coming out of the tunnel in the Georgia Dome, you know, the the four uh, tunnels in the corner of the field, the band would split into four lines and come on do a, a like a run on and make formations on the field before the actual show starts. I was in the back of the line. I think it was Tunnel D, the the one if, if you're sitting at the fifty yard line, the upper left. 
uh, and you come out of the tunnel and you had no idea how many people were going to be there. You think, okay, it's the first game. Georgia state's a pretty big school, 30, like 32,000 students at the time. Maybe some people will show up. I came out of the tunnel. There were 30,000 people in the Georgia Dome. That's not 30,000 tickets, that's 30,000 butts in seats. And it's the entire lower bowl filled. And they have students walking into the, like the club level under the big, like Jumbotron scoreboards. And I'm just like, Oh God, here we go. Like I was an 18 year old college freshman coming right out of high school. And the most people I'd ever seen was, you know, maybe 2000 at a high school marching band competition. And then you play fight song, introduce it for the first time to everybody and they're cheering and screaming and you turn and the students there's 11,000 of them there and they're screaming and waving stuff like wow this is really cool so that was definitely one of my uh favorite moments from the 2010 year I think you really would have had a fun time Taylor if you had been at that game and that's left with me and uh I've got the I think what I thought was the layup I'm glad we all went with different answers uh but the 2001 NCAA tournament win over Wisconsin Obviously, just partly because it's one of the more important achievements in the Georgia State athletics history, but also just given all the context that it was in Boise and that I've gone to, you know, road trips as a student and seen Georgia State win. And it's really gratifying to put in that effort to, you know, go travel somewhere and then see the team win and then traveling back. I mean, the high on the the bus back from the Georgia Southern win in 2015 football. Oh yeah. It just can't be topped. Um, so I can only imagine traveling. I think there were a good group of Georgia state people who did it by driving all the way to Boise and uh, the high from just the endorphins from going and seeing that win must've been just something awesome. Uh, so for all of those reasons, that's the answer for me. So it's interesting you brought that up because I'm pretty sure uh, people who listen can correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say that the student supporter group at that time would have been known as, I think, Lefties Loonies is what they were called. And a radio station in Atlanta actually paid for like a van to drive some of them up there. And I want to say at least a couple of the guys that frequent the panthertalk.com forum were a part of that. So if you listen to the podcast and that was uh, you reach out, let us know like what the experience was like and we can talk about it later. But I'm going to echo you, Brady. I'm going to say that would be my answer too because honestly, I there's not really been too much in the past 11 years that I haven't been to aside from... The last 30 years you've been at the school. Look, all right. Look, everybody goes to school on their own timeline and everyone is valuable no matter their experiences or contributions. That being said... 11 years is a long time to be at the forefront of uh, Georgia State sporting events, and I've got to see a lot of cool stuff. But if I had the chance, I would go back and uh, be a part of that, because that, that's that's got to be cool. You know you had gone to the NCAA tournament in, what was it, 1991? And uh, yeah. you, you didn't win that game. But to come back 10 years later uh, with an entirely new squad and beat Wisconsin, oh, yeah, I, wa- I want to be a part of that. So i got to see that game. Is there, like, video of it on YouTube or anything? It is not online anywhere. Well, also, if you have that video form that I can find, reach out, let <laughs> us know, because we, we'd really like to see that game. Well, Sid, Mike, thank you guys for those great questions this week. As always, uh, we throw up um, a question uh, kind of tweet uh, before we're going to record. So if you see that, please um, let us know if you guys have any questions for future episodes. We always love interacting with you guys, the listeners, and uh, it always ends up uh, leading to some very um, interesting discussion. Um, as evidenced by our off the rails segment last week. Uh, but that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, hopefully you're staying safe and we'll see you next week.
Bye. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.